Section 18 of Lucretia Borgia by Ferdinand Gregorovius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Maynard. Book 1, Chapter 18, Caesar at Pesaro. Towards the end of September, Caesar entered Romagna with 700 heavy men-at-arms, 200 light horsemen, and 6,000 foot soldiers. First he advanced against Pesaro for the purpose of driving out his former brother-in-law, Sforza, on hearing of the terrible fate of his successor as husband of Lucretia, had good reason to congratulate himself on his escape. He was literally consuming with hate of all the Borgias, but instead of being able to avenge himself for the injury they had done him, he found himself threatened with another, a greater, and almost unavoidable one. He had been informed by his representative in Rome, and by the ambassador of Spain, who was friendly to him, of the preparations his enemy was making a fact proved by his letter to francesca gonzaga the brother of his first wife madalena september first fifteen hundred he informed the marquis of caesar's intention to attack pesaro and asked him to endeavour to interest the emperor maximilian in his behalf on the twenty sixth he wrote an urgent appeal for help this the marquis did not refuse but he sent him only a hundred men under the command of an albanian thus do we see how these illegitimate dynasties of italy were in danger of being overthrown by every breath faenza was the only place where the people loved their lord the young and fair astore manfredi and remained true to him in all the other cities of romagna however the regime of the tyrants was detested sforza himself could be cruel and exacting and not in vain had he been a pupil of the borgias in rome never was throne so quickly overturned as his or rather so promptly abandoned before it was attacked. Caesar was some distance from Pesaro when there was a movement in his favor among the people. A party hostile to the Sforza was formed, while the whole populace, excited by the thought of what might follow the storming of the city by the heartless enemy, was anxious to make terms with him. In vain did the poet Guido Posthumus, who had recently returned from Padua to his fatherland, urge his fellow citizens in ardent verses to resist the enemy. The people rose Sunday, October 11th, even before Caesar had appeared under the city walls. What then happened is told in Sforza's letter to Gonzaga. Illustrious sir and honored brother-in-law, Your Excellency doubtless has learned ere this how the people of Pesaro last Sunday morning, incited by four scoundrels, rose in arms, and how I, with a few who remained faithful, was forced to retire to the castle as best I could. When I saw that the enemy was approaching, and that Ercole Bentivoglio, who was near Rimini, was pressing forward, I left the castle at night to avoid being shut in. This was on the advice and with the help of the Albanian Giacomo. In spite of the bad roads and great obstacles, I escaped this place, for which I have, first of all, to thank Your Excellency, you having sent me Giacomo, and next to thank him for bringing me through safely. What I shall now do I know not. But if I do not succeed in getting to Your Excellency within four days, I will send Giacomo, who will tell you how everything happened and what my plans are. In the meantime, I wish you to know that I am safe and that I commend myself to you. Bologna, October seventeenth, 1500. Your Excellency's brother-in-law and servant, Johannes Sforza of Aragon, Count of Cotignola and Pesaro. October nineteenth, he again wrote from Bologna, saying he was going to Ravenna and intended to return from there to Pesaro, where the castle was still bravely holding out. He also asked the Marquis to send him three hundred men. Three days later, however, he reported from Ravenna 
that the castle had capitulated. Caesar Borgia had taken the city of Pesaro, not only without resistance, but with a full consent of the people, and with public honors he entered the Sforza Palace, where only four years before his sister had held her court. He took possession of the castle October 28th, summoned a painter, and commanded him to draw a picture of it on paper for him to send the Pope. From the battlements of the castle of the Sforza, twelve trumpeters sounded the glad tidings, and their heralds saluted Caesar as Lord of Pesaro. October 29th he set out for the castle of Gradara. Among those who witnessed his entry into Pesaro was Pandolfo Colinuccio. On receiving news of the fall of the city, Duke Ercole, owing to fear, and also on account of a certain bargain between himself and the Pope, of which we shall soon speak, sent this man, whom Sforza had banished, and who had found an asylum in Ferrara, to Caesar to congratulate him. Colonuccio gave the Duke a report of his mission, October twenty-ninth, in the following remarkable letter. My illustrious master, having left your excellency, I reached Pesaro two and a half days ago, arriving there Thursday at the twenty-fourth hour. At exactly the same time the Duke of Valentino made his entry. The entire populace was gathered about the city gate, and he was received during a heavy fall of rain, and was presented with the keys of the city. He took up his abode in the palace, in the room formerly occupied by Signor Giovanni. His entry, according to the reports of some of my people who witnessed it, was very impressive. It was orderly, and he was accompanied by numerous horse and foot soldiers. The same evening I notified him of my arrival, and requested an audience whenever it should suit His Majesty's convenience. About two o'clock at night, eight o'clock in the evening, he sent Signor Ramiro and his Majordomo to call upon me and to ask, in the most courteous manner, whether I was comfortably lodged, and whether, owing to the great number of people in the city, I lacked for anything. He had instructed them to tell me to rest myself thoroughly, and that he would receive me the following day. Early Wednesday he sent me, by a courier, as a present, a sack of barley, a cask of wine, a weather, eight pairs of capons and hens, two large torches, two bundles of wax candles, and two boxes with sweetmeats. He, however, did not appoint an hour for an audience, but sent his excuses and said I must not think it strange. The reason was that he had risen at the twentieth hour, two o'clock in the afternoon, and had dined, after which he had gone to the castle where he remained until night, and once he returned greatly exhausted, owing to a sore he had in the groin. Today, about the twenty-second hour, four in the afternoon, after he had dined, he had Signor Ramiro fetch me to him, and with great frankness and amiability, His Majesty first made his excuses for not granting me an audience the preceding day, owing to his having so much to do in the castle, and also on account of the pain caused by his ulcer. Following this, and after I had stated that the sole object of my mission was to wait upon His Majesty, to congratulate him and thank him, and to offer your services, he answered me in carefully chosen words, covering each point and very fluently. The gist of it was that knowing Your Excellency's ability and goodness, he had always loved you and had hoped to enjoy personal relations with you. He had looked forward to this when you were in Milan, but events and circumstances then prevented it. But now that he had come to this country, he, determined to have his wish, had written the letter announcing his successes, of his own free will, and as proof of his love, and feeling certain that Your Majesty would be pleased by it. He says he will continue to keep you informed of his doings, 
as he desires to establish a firm friendship with your majesty, and he prefers everything he owns and in his power should you have ever need. He desires to look upon you as a father. He also thanked your majesty for the letter and for having sent it him by a messenger, although the letter was unnecessary, for even without it he would have known that your majesty would be pleased by his success. In short, he could not have uttered better and more seemly words than those he used when he referred to you as his father and to himself as your son, which he did repeatedly. When I take both the actual facts and his words into consideration, I see why he wishes to establish some sort of friendly alliance with your majesty. I believe in his professions, and I can see nothing but good in them. He was much pleased by your majesty's sending a special messenger to him, and I heard that he had informed the pope of it, to his followers here he spoke of it in a way that showed he considered it of the greatest moment. Replying in general terms, I said that I could only commend the wisdom he had shown in regard to your excellency, owing to our position and to that of our state, which, however, could only redound to his credit. To this he emphatically assented. He gave me to understand that he recognized this perfectly, and thereupon, breaking the thread of our conversation, we came to the subject of Faenza. His Majesty said to me, I do not know what Faenza wants to do. She can give us no more trouble than did the others. Still, she may delay matters. I replied that I believed she would do as the others had done, but if she did not, it could only redound to His Majesty's glory, for it would give him another opportunity to display his skill and valor by capturing the place. This seemed to please him, and he answered that he would assuredly crush it. Bologna was not mentioned. He was pleased by the messages which I brought him from your people, from Don Alfonso and the Cardinal, of whom he spoke long, and with every appearance of affection. Thereupon, having been together a full half-hour, I took my departure, and His Majesty, mounting his horse, rode forth. This evening he is going to Gradara, tomorrow to Rimini, and then farther. He is accompanied by all his troops, including the artillery. He told me he would not move so slowly, but that he did not wish to leave the cannon behind. There are more than two thousand men quartered here, but they have done no appreciable damage. The surrounding country is swarming with troops. Whether they have done much harm, we do not know. He granted the city no privileges or exemptions. He left as his lieutenant a certain doctor of Fouli. He took seventy pieces of artillery from the castle, and the guard he left there is very small. I will tell Your Excellency something which a number of people mentioned to me. It was, however, related to me in detail by a Portuguese cavalier, a soldier in the army of the Duke of Valentino, who was lodged here in the house of my son-in-law with fifteen troopers, an upright man who was a friend of our lord at Don Fernando when he was with King Charles. He told me that the Pope intended to give this city to Madonna Lucretia for her portion, and that he had found a husband for her, an Italian, who would always be able to retain the friendship of Valentino. Whether this be true I know not, but it is generally believed. As to Fano, the Duke did not retain it. He was there five days. He did not want it, but the burghers presented it to him, and his it will be when he desires it. It is said the Pope commanded him not to take Fano unless the citizens themselves asked him to do so. Therefore it remained in statu quo. Postscript The Duke's daily life is as follows. He goes to bed at eight, nine, or ten o'clock at night, three to five o'clock in the morning. Consequently, the eighteenth hour is his dawn, the nineteenth his sunrise, and the twentieth his time for rising. 
Immediately on getting up, he sits down to the table, and while there and afterwards he attends to his business affairs. He is considered brave, strong, and generous, and it is said he lays great store by straightforward men. He is terrible in revenge, so many tell me. A man of strong good sense and thirsting for greatness and fame, he seems more eager to seize states than to keep and administer them. Your illustrious Ducal Majesty's servant, Pandulfus. Pesaro, Thursday, October 29th, 6 o'clock at night, 1500. The Duke's Retinue Bartolomeo of Capranica, Field Marshal Piero Santa Croce Giulio Alberino Mario Don Marian de Stefano Menico Sanguigni Giovanni Battista Mancini Dorio Savello All noblemen of Rome Prominent men in the Duke's household Bishop of Elna Bishop of Sancta Sista Bishop of Trani, an Italian, all Spaniards a Neapolitan abbot. Signor Ramiro de Lorca, governor, he is the factotum. Don Hieronimo, a Portuguese. Messer Agabito da Amelio, secretary. Messer Alexandro Spanocchia, treasurer, who says that the Duke, since his departure from Rome up to the present time, has spent daily, on the average, 1,800 ducats. Colonuccio, in his letter, omits to mention the fact that he addressed to Caesar, the new master of Pesaro, a complaint against its former lord, Giovanni Sforza, and that the duke had reinstated him in the possession of his confiscated property. He was destined, a few years later, bitterly to regret having taken this step. Guido Postumus, on the other hand, whose property Caesar appropriated, fled to the Rangone in Modena. Sforza, expelled, reached Venice November 2nd, where he endeavored, according to Malipiero, to sell the Republic his estates of Pesaro, in which attempt he failed. Thence he went to Mantua. At that time Modena and Mantua were the asylums of numerous exiled tyrants, who were hospitably received into the beautiful castle of the Gonzaga, which was protected by the swamps of the Mincio. After the fall of Pesaro, Rimini likewise expelled its hated oppressors, the brothers Pandolfo and Carlo Malatesta, whereupon Caesar Borgia laid siege to Faenza. The youthful Astore, its lord, finally surrendered April 25, 1501, to the destroyer, on the duke's promise not to deprive him of his liberty. Caesar, however, sent the unfortunate young man to Rome, where he and his brother Octavian, together with several other victims, were confined in the castle of Sant'Angela. This was the same Astore, with whom Cardinal Alessandro Farnese wished to unite his sister Giulia in marriage, and the unfortunate youth may now have regretted that this alliance had not taken place. End of chapter 18